It's been good to get back to this good place. I've been coming here so long that I've lost all dates about when it started. That belongs to prehistoric history by now. <laughs> Came here when you just moved that old post office up here. You could look right down through the floor from the second floor. I tell you, we didn't have much in the way of uh, attractive inducements to come at that time. But uh, they even had some of the post office signs. And uh, I hadn't been, I hadn't married yet. Uh, I was 66 before I ever bought a car. And 39 before I ever got married, I wanted to think it over. <laughs> And I said, I said, where, where are you going to put me? And they said, where did you like? Well, I said, you got to see some of the post office signs. Put me in the one marked unclaimed mail. <laughs> so it's been like that all through, but glorious. Dear Dr. Robertson McQuilkin, I love the little thing I wrote about, Lord, let me get home before dark. He put it into a wonderful poem. Not the rhymey kind, but the other kind. You've got to have your thinking cap on when you read it. I imagine some of you have it. A number of you. It's going around surprising me. They've even got out a song now about it. And uh, just thank God for all these things that happened along the way. And this man, Halverson, in these two messages have been saying something I've been wanting to hear somebody say for a long time. And he said it. And the point of the thing was that, well, the way I put it is that we've got too much Sunday morning church entity, not enough seven days in the week Christianity. I wish we'd have started calling it Christian and Christianity and give him all the benefit we can of the sound of that precious name, Christianity. Well, he says that we're pretty strong in church on Sunday, but the trouble is what happens Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's right. That's the problem. And uh, he's helped us a lot, I believe, about that. Well, uh, I thank God for the singing blessings. I've had some interesting experiences through the years. I remember Father taking me to hear Wilbur Chapman preach, who had a sort of a roust about helping him set up the tabernacle and so on those days, who was a baseball player and he'd gotten saved and when the doctor went back to his pastor, that left this fellow with nothing to do. He had a half dozen little sermons, but his name was Billy Sunday. Very interesting things like that happened. Had Van Cliburn come to a meeting some time ago in Wichita Falls, Texas, played the offertory for us. Didn't cost a dime. <laughs> I tell you, that's phenomenal. But we had a quartet one time, I'll never forget that one, that sang and left before I preached all week. Never heard of one of my sermons. The last song they sang was, I'm a stranger and a pilgrim, I can tarry but a little while. <laughs> I thought that ought to be your theme song. <laughs> so we have a wonderful time. Every time I visit our capital in Washington, I take time out to have another look at the original Declaration of Independence and visualize afresh that July day, and it's still July, and so we're in the atmosphere of those times. 
when that noble band of patriots stake their lives and fortunes in sacred honor to sign that historic document. John Adams said at the time of it, I'm well aware of the toil and blood this treasure will cost. John Hancock of Massachusetts and Robert Morris of Pennsylvania were wealthy people. This wasn't a bunch of fanatics. They were people of fine standing. Some of them lost everything they had. Paul Harvey's got out a book. I don't know how I got hold of mine. I've had it quite a while, but I don't see it anywhere. It's a sort of a commemorative little book about the price they paid, those 56, and he's gone into it really and got most of it together. And those men paid a price. One man said, burn up Boston, and he lived in it, if that's what it takes for the public good. And Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and trader, lost his home and property and died in rags. And Thomas Lynch, uh, after he had signed health problems, came along, health failed. He and his wife set out for France to regain their health, were never heard from again. Thomas McKinn of Delaware had to move the family five times in five months, served without pay in Congress a family in poverty. Thomas Nelson of Virginia at the Battle of Yorktown and his own house was one of the targets because old Cornwallis was in it and he said, tear it up. And they did. And there was one fellow who was heavy set. I don't remember his name. And he said to a little fellow sort of skinny like I am, he said, well, I, I imagine I won't last long when we hang for this, but I imagine you were dangling around quite a while. <laughs> it's a cheerful way going about it. But of the 56, I'm saying, a uh, few of them survived. Some were captured and tortured. Twelve had their homes sacked. Nine died in the war. They weren't wild-eyed revolutionaries. They had security, but what they wanted was liberty. They could have kept on with old George III, paid a little more tax, and kept all their wealth, and so on. But they wouldn't do that. So in support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Now, if they returned today and looked us over, They'd be impressed by what they see in our size and our prosperity and our gadgets, but we, they'd see also uh, the fulfillment of those lines, uh, sad, fading land, the hasting hills of prey, where wealth accumulates and men decay. And they might ask, do you mean today what we meant then? Do you believe today in America what we believed in the possibilities then? We paid the price. Uh, these document, that marvelous document, holy with age, even the flourish of old John Hancock's pretty hard to read now. But the worst thing of all is it's not the fading of a document, but it's the fading of the spirit that inspired it, 
It's important to preserve our national declaration as long as we can make it last. But it's a million times more important to get our new editions out in flesh and blood of real Americans. Too many people who sing land where our fathers died, land of the pilgrim pride. Well, they're not very proud of it. Altogether too many. There is a sneaking, subtle internationalism getting around these days that makes fun of patriotism. And I stood within a few yards of Douglas MacArthur and heard him say, uh, voices are heard across this land denying the old concept of patriotism. Seductive murmurs arising that we are outmoded and provincial, immature and uh, uh, when we are patriotic and uh, that we have a better future under a more general flag. He said, repudiated from the platform, from the pulpit. And I said under my breath, General, I'll do my 10 cents worth as I go about over the land. I don't think it got much publicity. It didn't make the press hardly at all. And yet it was MacArthur. And it, it was MacArthur, really, from the bottom of his heart. You see, we've got a lot of folks today that are awfully interested in internationalism. They, don't, they, they brag about uh, internationalism, but they don't know how to be local. They talk about a world church, but they're not with a nickel in the church they live in. Yeah. You know, they wouldn't want to live in a country that didn't have any churches, but most folks are living as though there were no churches in America. That's the plight of this. That's statistics. I don't know what the return reader would say, but I, I get a little blue sometimes when I think about it. I heard of a Hungarian, an artist, a pianist. Oh, he knew how to play. But he was a fugitive. They ran him out of his own country and he came to America. And after he had given a marvelous program and played the masterpieces, he left the piano and then he came back and sat down quietly. He's played one little number. My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty. And that broke down the house. Well, I'm glad it did. It ought to. Uh, it ended the concert with a great masterpiece, <laughs> greatest of all. And I, I get concerned today. Old Teddy Roosevelt used to say in the days of the First World War when they had a lot of German-Americans, hyphenated Americans, he told him, said, when you are an American and something else, you're not an American. said, this country is not a polyglot boarding house. I like that. They're not talking that way today. You know, these guys that came over here, and we're getting a lot of them every day, they don't have a heart for America. And they still don't, a lot of them. I'd like to load a lot of them off on a boat See him leave and wave. <laughs> I tell you, I like it here. It's all his faults and things. The best patch of dirt I know of. They're all trying to get in over here and get out of everywhere else. I like it. So, but beloved, the Declaration of Independence is not the only document that's in danger because the country's in trouble. There are a lot of marriage certificates that are fading. And there are thousands on thousands of people now living as man and wife who don't even bother about a marriage certificate about getting married. And uh, somehow we've accepted it more or less. We say, too bad, tush, tush, and all the rest of it. 
statements like homosexuality until you got started with Adam and Eve. He didn't start with Adam and Steve. <laughs> When you get over time, you haven't got any more sense than to say what you think. <laughs> but, beloved, I know many of you are bothered. It may have reached some part of your own family, family circle, in one form or another. The Bible says the time's coming when we'll be without natural affection. Now, I think we've got the wrong twist on that sometimes. It doesn't mean the love of God here, necessarily. We're without that, all right, but I think the time has come when a lot of people are not even capable of ordinary sweetheart love. Just plain old-fashioned love. Why, you used to get excited over that sweetheart you saw and couldn't sleep for thinking about it. And... Nowadays, why, it, it's, it's not like it used to be. The contracts fade, and the wedding vows are forgotten, and faithfulness is just a joke, and tragedies become comedy, and an evil and adulterous generation laughs at sin. Sometimes it arises, there's these separations from pure neglect. And sometimes people can go to Bible conferences and be home, go home and be pretty sour in the kitchen and in the home. Has it got through that far with you? I heard of a dear fellow, I heard a sermon like this, and he said, that's right. He said, I, I've not been, uh, I've been sort of failing and telling my wife how I appreciate her. He said, I'm going to tell her when I get home. And he got up a sermon that was a masterpiece. I tell you, the likes of it had never been heard or land or seen before. Made up oratory rhetoric, you're talking and he was too when he got home and busted into the kitchen with all that. And she stopped and looked around and said, well, this takes the cake. Broke one of my best dishes this morning, had a splitting headache all day, and now you've come home drunk. <laughs> so take it easy. Don't tell her too sudden. She might have a nervous breakdown. But when folks get untied today, the main letter is I in that. You, you can change United and change one letter and you've got untied. That's the way it works sometimes. And it's home trouble because it's heart trouble, old trouble. You trace it back far enough. It's heart trouble. And then uh, we've got a lot of church covenants that are fading. I see them in the back of hymn books sometimes in a church. Or poorly... Uh, written on the wall somewhere. We take it for granted. And when people get married, they make vows, they assume responsibility, and they make promises. And they used to in the joint church. You know the biggest business the devil's got today? Getting people to join church without being saved. Now if he can get enough of them in there, he's got it made. And he's having remarkable success. Because it's appalling today. I don't know. Nobody knows. Only God. There's true statistics. But there's a problem. And the real revivals that are popping up, and thank God there are some over America, and I've been hearing about them. And nine times out of ten, you know one of the first things that happens? Church members begin coming down the aisle saying, I want to be baptized. I've not, never been saved. 
And sometimes it reaches amazing proportions. That's all right. I'd like to hear that. Years ago in Narberth, Pennsylvania, I talked in a little Presbyterian church. And the pastor has since become the pastor of the top Presbyterian Church in American Prestige, Fifth Avenue, New York. And he says that Constantine, of course, you know all that story of history, became a church member, that nearly ruined it. Everybody started joining church because it was quite the thing. The, the emperor was a member and we uh, lowered our standards to please these new members who didn't know a thing in the world about Jesus Christ. And that almost wrecked us. And then we had the halfway covenant over in the colonial America. Uh, come on in the church and get right after you come in the church. And that did the rest. And so this, this man, Dr. Uh, Kirkland, says, as a result, there is a wider evangelistic field within the ranges of our local churches as in the great community outside. You don't have to wait to get out there to get the sinners. You got a lot of them. Some of them are deacons, maybe. It's a serious time. And uh, we're not going to have any, any uh, awakening until we face the fading of all our documents. And uh, the Bible itself fades with a lot of Christians. You've read it so much. Uh, you uh, don't approach it saying, uh, precious page, how I revere it in the name of God. And then you made Jesus' promises when you came in the church. Oh Jesus, I've promised to serve thee to the end. Be thou forever near me, my master and my friend. I shall not fear the battle if thou art by my side, nor wander from the pathway if thou be my guide. We get to where it's a little hazy about singing those things. And we're not used to it. And we get, or we do get used to it, sadly. When I see an old Bible that's falling apart, just about to go to pieces, I figure that nine times out of ten, it belongs to somebody who is not falling apart. That's pretty good evidence of which way you're going. And so, if you're a preacher here tonight, I know most of them are pulpits, but I tell the preachers, and I'm preaching more today to preachers never have in my life. I've been one a long time, since 1913. And that makes me sort of prehistoric. But I'm having a great time with them. I tell them, don't you settle the time you're going to quit. God didn't call me to preach till I was 65. called me to preach. That's it. Now you can't terminate your own preaching unless you're not able to preach. And this business of playing lightly and loosely. And some resign. Well, anybody can quit. That's the easiest thing in the world to do. Quit. And then some become resigned. They accept sin in the church. They accept the situation. Nothing I can do about it anyhow. We've always had the devil. We'll have him to the end. I'm not going to wear myself out condemning sin. Well, you better. Because Finney had a sermon on how to preach so as to convert nobody. He said, preach on sin, but don't name any of the sins of the congregation because they'll get mad, some of them, and go home, but they better go out mad than just go out. So many people are leaving church today, and they've stood and sung, and I have nervous chills, and I see a congregation of well-fed, well-clothed, well-housed, 
Americans, to the old rugged cross I'll ever be true. It's shame and reproach gladly back. Gladly? If you like asking as they're going out with that timid little, uh, you know, thing they always say to us preachers. Now, I always wonder what they mean. I enjoyed the sermon. I say, Lord, here we go again. <laughs> I feel like saying, well, I was hoping maybe you got mad. Or oh, got stirred for the name of high heaven about something. Enough to get agitated. I believe being born on your way to heaven is worth getting excited about, friend. And it ought to break out even at Ben Lippin or anywhere else. There's no place proof against the real work of God, and it is, thank God. Always has. I don't believe in going to extremes either way, and I don't believe in this middle-of-the-roadism that's tasteless, uh, too, sometimes. But uh, you don't have to quit, resign, and don't get resigned to the situation but let God re-sign you. That's what you need to do. Go back to headquarters. Say, Lord, I need a fresh autograph. Straight from heaven. That's what we need. He'll do things for you. Well, Dr. Schofield tells about being in a meeting with a friend of his. The man that was speaking was getting along pretty well, but something was lacking. He's preaching about a dip in Jordan, you know, that Naaman took seven of them. And he nudged his friend and said, what that preacher needs is another dip in Jordan himself. Well, we have a great many in that plight today. Another dip in Jordan. I want to talk this week about have you missed your miracle? Pray for that because God's got miracles for some of you people you've never had yet. You're going to miss yours if you don't wake up. Have you lost Have you missed your miracle? Think it over, and let's talk it over. Uh, all the postgraduate courses in school won't do it. Not the university degrees. We got so many preachers now that have got more degrees than they've got temperature. <laughs> Doctor Schofield tells about being in a meeting with a friend of his. The man that was speaking was getting along pretty well, but something was lacking. He's preaching about a dip in Jordan, you know, that Naaman took seven of them. And he nudged his friend and said, what that preacher needs is another dip in Jordan himself. Well, we have a great many in that plight today. Another dip in Jordan. I want to talk this week about have you missed your miracle? Pray for that because God's got miracles for some of you people you've never had yet. You're going to miss yours if you don't wake up. Have you lost it? Have you missed your miracle? Think it over, and let's talk it over. Uh, all the postgraduate courses in school won't do it. Not the university degrees. We've got so many preachers now that have got more degrees than they've got temperature. <laughs> You've heard of my friend, Mr. Tweedle. They gave him a doctor's degree. Bad enough to be Tweedle, and now he's Tweedled he did. <laughs> We have a Declaration of Independence. The minute you're saved, you become a free man. You were bought in the market, out of the market, never again to go back into the market. Once for all, O sinner, receive it. 
Once for all, O brother, believe it. Cling to the cross, the burden of all. Christ hath redeemed us once for all. And it's also a declaration of dependence. Without me, you can do nothing. And it's a declaration of uh, uh, common uh, uh, dependence, interdependence. Uh, we are members one of another. Three kinds. It's all wrapped up in that declaration of spiritual independence. If you're here tonight and you're a church member, you've never been saved or you're not certain. You don't have to go through life like that. I have to watch when I'm preaching. You've got two kinds of people in church. Some folks that are, think they're saved when they're not, and they're pretty hard to wake up to it. And others that are saved, bless their hearts, but they don't have assurance. Some of them are nervous, some of them are not well. And the devil loves to play all kinds of awful tunes on your nerves when you don't feel like you ought to. And oh, God knows the difference. And I, while I'm trying to wake up this crowd, the trouble is I'll drive, drive this crowd crazy. But don't watch because they're already about to go that way because they can't feel certain. So you've got to get it balanced, get it right. But I think about, about that dear woman. She was saved, bless her heart, but she couldn't feel saved. W.B. Criswell, I asked him personally. He preached, started preaching before he was sure. And I said, is that right? I've heard about it, read about it. Yep. Said I'd preach in the morning and that night be on my knees, a preacher. Saying, Lord, I can't feel saved. Said I had to get to the place where I said, Lord, it says here, he that believeth on the Son hath eternal life. If I could believe it any better, I would. And that's where I stand. I'm going to stand at the judgment day. Say, that's where I am, Lord. <laughs> and he's got it now if you've ever heard him preach. <laughs> so... But I think of this dear woman that went to Alexander White, that great old saint of God. She said, I, I don't know why, I, I, like Mr. Fearing in Pilgrim's Progress, always scared he wouldn't get to heaven and got there anyhow. And when he went across the river, Bunyan said he, he didn't even get his shoes wet. Oh, I love that grand old Englishman and the way he could fix it. Because Mr. Fearing, for all his fears, he had the heart of the matter, the root of the matter in him. And so Alexander White told this woman, my dear lady, out in the wilderness when Moses lifted up the serpent, the fellow on the back row, several hundred thousand of them, why, he couldn't even see that snake up there on top of that pole. But God didn't tell him to see. He only told him to look. Now you think that over, you say, what's the difference? There's a lot of difference. Look unto me and be ye saved. You look with such faith as you've got. God will give you more. But look with what faith you have. Lord, I believe. That's what that fellow said with the sick boy. Help thou, mine unbelief. <clears throat> I saw in National Geographic, that's a strange place to find something like this, but once in a while they come up with something like this. Picture the Colosseum in Rome. Many of you have been there. We've stood and looked at that marvelous old building about to crumble in some points. And it had underneath, this is the Colosseum in Rome, where Christians died for a faith they now take for granted. That's National Geographic. And they're right. It bothers me. 
And Webster said this, and you can change. He was talking about the Constitution. Every time you say Constitution, you put church in, and you'll see the difference. I'm going to read it with church in it. He said Constitution. You may look at the church and see that it possesses all the externals and yet find none of the essence of vitality in it, just as you may contemplate an embalmed body where art has preserved proportional form amid nerves without action and veins without blood. That's Sardis having a name to be alive, but dead. He's talking about the Constitution, but it's mighty good when you change it over in its application to the truth. And so I beg of you tonight, I'm not going to preach all this sermon, I want to keep you here until midnight, but I want to say to you, to the glory of God, I appreciate the fact that you say these nice things. I always tell them, give me a little more. I won't be, I'll be 82 in October. I need all the time I can get. Now, that's why I ask for it. But uh, I really, I, I'm, I'm happy God's given me this much. Having the time of my life. But I'm, I'm solemn and serious about it too because I know it can't be long. Jesus may come first. I'll settle for that any day in the week. But, whatever. I keep asking, Lord, what is the thing I most need to say in the little time I've got left to say it? I can't ramble around all over creation. What needs to be said most? I go to bed thinking it over. Lord, did I get anywhere near the main thing? And oh, God is gracious to encourage us. And some of the most wonderful things have happened in the last few years. I'm having the time of my life. And I started out at this. People made fun of it. Boy, preacher. Just a flash in the pan. Well, I think 68 years, time to give it a try. <laughs> Working at it. But you know, I have the joy of my life when a letter comes, all kinds of letters or a phone call. The other day I was sitting in my rocking chair feeling blue. Yes, I have the blues once in a while. Still human, thank the Lord. I said, Lord, with many people who are in America, I feel lonesome this evening. Couldn't some fellow somewhere grab up a telephone, just give me a ring, cheer me up a little bit? Now, this doesn't work every time. I haven't got any of these trick talks about things like that. Sometimes, you know, open the Bible anywhere and it'll fall open. Yes, sometimes it falls open for four or five pages of John begat James and so on. And he said, Lord, I missed it. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. But I said, Lord, you could just make one little. I hadn't sat down again in my chair. I'd been walking the floor. Phone rang, fell out in Arkansas. He didn't want a thing anymore. I said, I just want to tell you what a blessing you've been to me. And that's it. Now, you can call that coincidence. I call that providence, brother. The Lord cheered me up. And I've had one of the most remarkable answers to prayer in the last week or two. Got ashamed of myself. My uh, uh, brother-in-law had been appointed as dean of the divinity school at uh, Duke. He had taught in uh, Dallas. Uh, there in the Methodist College for years. Came and took it and died a few days after he took this assignment. Left a little four and a half year old boy and a little girl born after he died. This little kid, I never had a boy moon and I fell in love with that youngin at the very start. I never had so much pleasure with anybody as I had in that four and a half boy. 
And I, every time I'd come in on the training trip, they'd bring him down to the training here. He'd come around. And he loved his daddy, but some well-meaning soul had gone at it the wrong way and said, God took your daddy. Well, don't ever tell a four and a half in that way. He didn't have much use for God for quite a while. I could tell, read all kind of... Uh, Amos and Andy and everything else and he liked that but he didn't want to hear anything about Jesus and that puzzled me to death he wouldn't fight it just shut up like a clam I sent him to three camps and they worked on him I think one of them was up here the little fellow and they said we don't know what and I prayed and I said Lord I love that boy well time went on he grew up in the air force and then Seven boats in Orlando. Morally fine. Married, got two sweet little girls, 40 years old now. And I said, Lord, are you going to... I didn't say let me down, but I almost felt it. Lord, I, I prayed out on him. <laughs> now, I've been at it. <laughs> Wasn't fussing, I was just telling the facts. <laughs> to show you how good God is. About a month ago, sitting there by myself again the phone rang and the voice came over and Uncle Vance this is Paul Rue I went down the Billy Graham trail two nights ago and gave my heart to Jesus Christ and I want to thank you for praying for me all through these years I fogged up I couldn't say a word I just sat there he kept talking I said that's not Paul Rue and I said yes it is it's the new one if any man be in Christ and you could not pray for that time's about to give up don't you ever give up on God about the time when you think it's all over about whatever it is you're praying you, you might get the happiest moment of your life I just shouted within I had time getting myself collected so he know I was still at the other end of the thing <laughs> so I just want to tell you it pays to trust Jesus and uh, if you get a little tired praying why well, some of them have prayed longer than you have. And he answered a prayer. So we're having a great time. I believe God's going to give us a fine week. Now you hold on to this. Are you thirsty and all the rest of it? Bill, I, I, that fellow, I've been in meetings with him. And uh, you love to hear him. And uh, I think that's his best friend because it's my favorite. And so... Pray for me that I am tired. Uh, I wake up of a morning, I've got arthritis, and a lot of it on one side. I'm so one-sided about a lot of things. But most, <laughs> I start putting, throwing my left leg out of the bed, and this, this other one said, I'm not coming. I said, oh, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Come on. We're all going together here. Anybody here in my fix? Huh? Oh, I knew you were here. You just rolled on up to it. Well, thank the Lord. We're still pressing on. Pray for me that the last will be the best and that I'll get home before dark. God bless you.